Support for 100 Watts and a Wire is brought to you by 100wattsandawire.com. To subscribe to the show, simply click the RSS feed. While you're there, apply for your free 100 Watts ID and learn how you can help make 100 Watts and a Wire listener supported. Click the donate page and pick the option that works best for you. We've got a traveling toolkit, 100 Watts and a Wire gear, and more. That's 100wattsandawire.com. And ICOM. Pack your bags because the Dayton Hamvention is coming up from May 17th through the 19th at the Greene County Fairgrounds and Expo Center. You can see the latest and greatest ICOM gear and meet hams from all over the world. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information. And LDG. LDG automatic tuners are built with industrial quality components for safety, durability, and long life. LDG microprocessors run state-of-the-art matching firmware to find a match in seconds. For more information, visit ldgelectronics.com. And now, from Grid Square Echo Mike 48, this is 100 Watts and a Wire. Yes, sir. Hello, everyone. It's Christian. My call sign is Kilo Zero Sierra Tango Hotel. K0STH here in Missouri. We're just uh, north of the city of St. Louis. I hope everybody's doing okay. And uh, welcome to our new listeners on the shortwave radio outlets. Wonderful to have you here. Uh, We are reaching four corners of the world, and they are promptly tuning out. You can hear them click. They're like, what is that? off. Let's go ahead and turn it on to something else. Hope everybody's doing okay. Weird weekend here. I actually spent the uh, better part of the weekend working. Big production in and uh, 18 months in the planning kept me doing the day job thingy. So no contacts all weekend. It was nice visiting with you today. A three minute show. How about that for the shortwave stations when they're like, hey, dude just did like a three minute thing and was like out i'm out we'll do a little bit more than that but no contacts uh sunday i just want to take a nap dude and uh woke up and guess what it was snowing it was snowing i mean we've had temperatures of 80 degrees so far and uh sunday snow there you go that's just how it is here uh, and everywhere we've got uh, strange weather patterns. It's just, you know, it's just what it is. But yeah, I listen to the radio a little bit. I also listen to the Sunday evening net and have an announcement there next Sunday or this Sunday. Whenever you're listening to this is Easter Sunday. So we're going to do a gathering of the willing, an original gathering of the willing. Strange at times to uh, turn the dial and hear other people call their gathering a gathering of the willing. It's happened a couple of times. Two different uh, entities are doing it. The original gathering of the willing is a 100 watts and a wire gathering of the willing. Make no mistake about it. But that'll happen on Sunday evening in place of our net. And the Gathering of the Willing started as a safety net. Basically, you know, if you can't sit down, there's a holiday, such as Easter, such as Christmas, whenever. You can have a Gathering of the Willing. Anybody can start one anywhere, any band, any mode, any time. And use social media to tell us where you are. 
We also have Neil back on the show this week. He's going to teach us a little bit more. He's been spending a lot of time with youth in amateur radio, and he has developed some skills and techniques that he shares with us each month in our special ops segment. And for the most part of this show, because I did not make any contacts, I did not do any antenna work, I did get a message this weekend, and there is a silent key. Uh, Dave, Whiskey Six, Oscar, Delta, Foxtrot. I did an interview with him back on episode 105. We were featuring radio clubs, and uh, I spoke with him, and it was very touching. It was an honor to speak with him, and I want to play that interview back for you uh, this week. So we'll do that, and that'll be the best part of this show. No offense to Neil and myself, but uh, listening to Dave talk about his life and his life in amateur radio and what moves him. I think it'll be fun to share that again. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Neil, and then we'll get into that interview with Dave in just a bit. QRO to the people. This is 100 watts and a wire. ICOM's newest SDR transceiver, the IC9700, is coming soon. This new radio is bringing direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. The IC9700 all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features such as dedicated amateur satellite operation, a color touchscreen, D-Star capability, RF direct sampling on 2-meter and 70-centimeter bands, dual independent receivers capable of full duplex operation as well as dual watch, and 100 watts max output power on 2 meters, 75 watts on 70 centimeters, and 10 watts max on 1.2 gigahertz. Visit icomamerica.com backslash amateur for more information on all ICOM radios. And Max Gain Systems, your source for fiberglass tube and rod, the perfect material for push-up mast, antenna building and support projects, RF connectors and adapters, highest quality at lowest prices. Visit them online at mgs4u.com. That's Mike, Golf, Sugar, the number four, the u.com. In a land where we're all 20 over, this is 100 watts and a wire. Hi, this is Neil, WB9VPG from Ham Talk Live and the Next Gen Contesters editor for the National Contest Journal, back once again with tips to help youth get involved in amateur radio. One of the things that I was involved with recently that I really enjoyed was the Youth Contesting Program, which is sponsored by the Young Amateurs Radio Club, or YARC. What YARC does is they pair up youth operators with bigger contest-style stations so that they can get the experience of operating a bigger station, a more powerful station, and get some mentoring from contesters so that they can be more efficient in their communications. I went to Westchester, Ohio, to the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting and the club station there, WC8VOA, and worked along with Jocelyn Bro, KD8VRX, and Mike Braun, KB8ZYE, and some others in the club, and we mentored a couple of young people in the CQ Worldwide WPX contest. 
Uh, Jocelyn's son, Christopher, KD8YVJ, was one of our top operators. And also Patrick, KE8KLC, was there. And so we had a chance to visit with them and to get them on the air, to get them on some bigger equipment and some equipment that they normally don't have available at home, and get them on the air and make a whole bunch of contacts. And they made a million and a half points, just about. Um, so they did really well. Uh, Christopher made 594 contacts, and Patrick made 326 contacts throughout the weekend. So they made most of the contacts from the station, and it gave us a chance also to mentor them. It gave us a chance to show them how the equipment worked. It gave us a chance to give them some tips on how to be more efficient in their communications using the best phonetics for the situation, using the least amount of words that were necessary, and really homing in on some of those contesting skills. If you have a fairly good station and you'd like to pair up with someone in this uh, youth contesting program, go over to yark.world and you can connect with the Young Amateurs Radio Club and their youth contesting program, and they're going to be doing this for a while. Hopefully the next one will be even bigger and better. But what I want to talk about today here on 100 Watts in a Wire is maybe you do this but not for a contest. Maybe if you're not a contester, just opening up your station, you might have HF capabilities that a young person doesn't have available otherwise. Maybe all they have is their HT, and and that's the only thing that they can operate on a regular basis. So if you open up an invitation to your station, maybe along with one of their parents, and give them a chance to do some DXing or some rag chewing or maybe a satellite contact or a new digital mode, this provides an opportunity for young people to get hooked on some of these other aspects of amateur radio and get more involved. And you'll have a chance to mentor them on operating procedures and using different equipment. Inviting a parent along may not only be a good idea for liability, but also for the young person to be more at ease about visiting someplace new. And that's one thing that we tend to be lacking on in ham radio is mentoring and elmering, whatever you want to call it. But it's a chance that you can sit down with people and teach them how to call CQ, how to carry on a conversation. And we talked a little bit last month about some ideas on how to carry on a conversation. So consider opening up your shack to some young people and uh, hopefully that'll inspire them to keep going. For 100 Watts and a Wire, I'm Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Made in America, shared worldwide. This is 100 Watts and a Wire. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. An LDG desktop tuner works automatically with nearly any station up to 1,000 watts. LDG Zero Power Tuners are ideal for portable or mobile use, as they consume almost no current and can be powered by internal batteries that last up to a year. LDG tuners are backed by our two-year fully transferable warranty and our legendary customer service, the best in the industry. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. What's he going to be like when he's 10 times as popular? How easy is it going to be to get him off the air then? The new MFJ2100 is here. It's the Octopus Antenna Hub. It can turn your ham sticks into four fully balanced dipoles in minutes. You can mix and match any four HF, VHF, 
and UHF bands. Simply screw in, say, 80, 40, 20 meter ham sticks and a dual 2 meter 440 whip on opposite sides. Now you have an automatic band switching 5 band dipole. It works at any height, low for local NVIS and high for DX, and say at a fixed height, 20 or 30 feet, use 80 meters for NVIS and 20 meters for low angle DX. It mounts on any mast up to 1 inch in diameter. You can use a fiberglass pole and a tripod and you're on the air. It's perfect for casual, portable operation, or if you have limited space, HOAs, you can take it to field day or camping. It has a single coax feed with a built-in ballon, and what's more, your ham sticks break down to four feet for easy storage. Visit mfjenterprises.com for more information about the Octopus Antenna Base, the MFJ2100. That's mfjenterprises.com. This week, I'm excited to introduce everyone to the Golden Triangle Amateur Radio Club. I'm joined by Dave, Whiskey 6, Oscar, Delta Foxtrot, and Jim, Alpha Golf 6, India Foxtrot. Good morning to you both. Morning. Good morning. Let's jump in now. We've got uh, some interesting conversation, and Jim, you wanted Dave to be there and be present and uh, tell us why. Oh, absolutely! Because um, when I when I applied uh, when I got on your website, by the way, I have a number. I've got a uh, hundred watts and a wire number, and uh, I thought, you know what? We have a great story to tell here in uh, Southern California with our with our GTARC Radio Club, and I went to the board with it uh, with uh, to get any ideas, and absolutely one hundred percent, Dave W6ODF. He's been around a long time. Uh, he's been the ham a long, long time. And like he said, since 1951, and I thought it was a perfect opportunity. So here we are. Well, Dave, let's talk a little bit about you. And I mean, geez, there have been so many changes that have come along in in uh, just the last decade or two, but you've seen quite a bit. Take us back to uh, what things looked like, actually, just the landscape of amateur radio in the 50s. Okay, well, actually, we go back a little earlier than that, even to the 1930s when uh, we were in high school and we had we had buddies a good fortune to have buddies who had amateur radio licenses uh, I was still suffering from a lack of citizenship from down here from Canada and uh, the result was that I operated uh, as second op uh, unlicensed with uh, high school buddies and uh, I've lost all those guys in the meantime. They're all, they're all gone elsewhere, and, uh, and I'm still here with the gang. Uh, in, uh, in the early days, we, we had like uh, single tube transmitters and TRF receivers. Uh, stuff was all homemade. It was, it was a, a number of years before we, we began gradually to become appliance operators. It was very difficult, even in the early days, to build a decent receiver. And the uh, superhead receivers came along, and manufacturers began to turn them out. People like uh, Ammerland and National, and and then on and on. There are many, many manufacturers. <clears throat> but as time went by, and of course the war was approaching, uh, production of radios uh, began to kind of take off and made the availability. Uh, World War II made the availability of a lot of advanced radio equipment uh, as war surplus. 
And the hams jumped right on that because you could uh, disassemble a $20 transmitter and get $150 worth of parts out of it. But we were mostly in the homebrew business <clears throat> with very simple, uh, like I say, uh, at first it was a single tube, uh, a 6L6, if you wish, tri-ted oscillator, and of course a long wire. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of interesting that in those days you could work CW and worked the Philippines on 40, and, uh, and and with a 35 watt amplifier or a 35 watt uh, oscillator, tri-tet oscillator, pretty stable, all crystal controlled, of course. <clears throat> then as time went by, we uh, we found a way to, to modulate the darn thing. So we were on a 160 meter phone rag tuning with all the locals uh, with the 6L6 tri-tet and a modulator made out of a speech amplifier, an audio amplifier. Uh, well, time went on, and uh, I, I began to, to be involved with the space program uh, in the, let's see, it had to be in the late 50s. And so uh, I spent a number of years with uh, the Hughes Aircraft Company, Space and Com, building and testing and launching uh, a number of satellites through the years. Uh, Surveyor, the soft lander on the moon, uh, was one of the earliest, and then through the years till about 78, 9, we did uh, Pioneer Venus to the planet Venus. So I have a lot of a lot of fun stories about things that we did at Hughes and uh, spectacular laboratories that we had. And it was like a ham's heaven to go, go to work every day when you had a test bench full of Collins radios and and Hewlett Packard test script. <laughs> uh, unlike the Heath kit stuff at home. So uh, <clears throat> about 1990, I found myself out here in the desert, and uh, I had just become interested again in ham radio because I had just uh, retired. Uh, I had let it lay for quite a number of years. Uh, I was active probably until about 1960. And then we didn't do much ham radio because we were at Hughes during the remaining years. And we had plenty of long-distance communications <laughs> and, and numerous hams. I met a number of really avid hams at Hughes. We called the place Howard's Home for Happy Hams. <laughs> and anyhow, as time went by, we just uh, continued to develop interest in other things besides ham radio. and. Uh, and went on uh, in 1990 to become associated with a club. We moved out here, interested in making acquaintanceships, and uh, so I served a number of seats on the board. And uh, we did a lot of field days, uh, the early the early type field days where we actually stayed out the whole weekend and stayed up all night. <laughs> uh, we had the good fortune to have a guy that collected fire trucks. And uh, he would bring out a 100-foot hook and ladder, and we made an adapter to put a beam antenna on the top of that ladder. And we did quite well in the contest, frankly. Of course, time has gone by. Uh, things have changed, and uh, our field day is coming up. We're ready for it. And believe it or not, we're going to participate in field day again this year. I'm going to take my mobile walker out to the field day. That consists of a walker with a a two-meter 440 radio and a six-foot antenna, and it works. <laughs> We're entertaining the Boy Scouts this year, which I'm happy to say. 
Uh, I don't want to keep this going too long. The club has been very active in, in uh, civil defense and uh, CERT <laughs> and various community projects. And I'm going to let Jim talk a while because I'm going to get a drink of water. <clears throat> All right. Well, hey, Jim, I realize why you brought Dave now, um, but I can't let him off the hook that quickly. He just went through uh, several decades of uh, things, and my mind is spinning I, I I have to follow up at least two questions here, and I, I promise we'll talk about the club. It all leads to it. All roads lead to the Golden Triangle Amateur Radio Club. But Dave, when you get your uh, when you wet your whistle there, I want to know if you'll go back and talk a little bit about World War II and once the amateur radio bands. Uh, were put on hold or shut down temporarily to amateurs because of the war and what that period was like, what you remember, what it felt like? Well, uh, the fact of the matter is I went to join the Navy upon high school graduation in 1940, and my intention was to be a radio operator. And my good friend uh, also who had the radio station that I was working with, a very, very good friend, um, went with us, uh, there were three of us went down and joined the Navy, <clears throat> and they were immediately accepted because of their electronic experience, and the guy said, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, you're a Canadian. So I said, tell you what, uh, you wait a year and uh, register for the draft when you're 18, and we'll see about what we can do about getting you into the Navy. Well, <clears throat> A year later, when I registered for the draft, the uh, ink was hardly dry <laughs> when I got the letter to come on in. And uh, fortunately, I was I was situated in the uh, in the, really in the signal corps. I was signal corps trained on all manner of radios, both ground and aircraft. And uh, at the end of about four months of school at Fort Monmouth, uh, I was uh, fully trained. Uh, air, aircraft radio technician and of course the next step along the way is to get overseas uh, means joining a company which was stationed in New Orleans uh, we, we got ourselves together got organized and uh, headed overseas and we spent almost three years in, in, in uh, China, Burma, India so I had uh, couple of years up in the in the tea plantation area up in the Assam Valley it's up uh, in the valley just south of Nepal and uh, had a really good piece of real estate we could see the Himalayas on one side and on the other side of the valley was the Patke mountains which separated India and Burma uh, those mountains uh, went to about 9400 feet and of course as everybody knows the Himalayas are up in the 20s so we did a, a little troop transport flying just to get the radio repair facility back and forth between India and Burma. And I had the good fortune to be one of the volunteers. <laughs> be careful about volunteering. Uh, to uh, go down into Burma and modify the very popular BC-610 transmitter. We were having problems with those things, pulling transformers arcing over in the power supply. So we devised, devised methods, ran out of parts, and did the typical things that amateur radio operators do, in spite of the fact that the government frowned on anybody 
taking a hammer at any piece of, of government equipment. But we were we were lacking spare parts, so we really had no choice. And when finally we were discovered by the area signal officers, they commanded us and sent us on further forays into Burma to do other modifications. Of course, ham radio was suspended all through the war, but uh, most of us who were interested in ham had never lost the appetite. So as soon as the Japanese surrender was signed in August of 1945, we hurriedly put together an amateur radio station up there in uh, India, Burma. I can't remember now anymore where all we contacted, but there was a lot of jubilation in uh, early or late 45, early 46, about hams getting back on the air and uh, couldn't wait to get home and get going again. Uh, the uh, adventure ended in 1946, uh, early 46. I got home and, uh, and then began the career. <laughs> the career and the marriage and the kids and you know the story. You can't live this long without having adventures. <laughs> right. Well, well Dave, take another drink here and let me set up my next question. Thank you for your service, by the way. It's not every day I get to talk to somebody um, that's a World War II veteran. My grandfather was as well. He passed away uh, earlier this year. I, I want to get to uh, some of the excitement. You know, many people get into this great hobby and service uh, today for, for many different reasons. You go back far enough for the very early days, the early days of radio and the advent of television. Can you speak a little bit about the feelings of potential and what it was like, I mean, to make a contact on a wire in the early days? Well, uh, initially, of course, we had the, the crudest of equipment and the least amount of knowledge. Uh, we were being mentored by local neighborhood hams who were kind enough to give us give us uh, used vacuum tubes with which to build stuff. But <clears throat> after the war, it was a, a lot different because of the availability of war surplus equipment. Uh, there were two types of aircraft radios that became very popular in ham, ham radio use. Uh, one was the SCR-274, which was the lightweight HF radio, the little aluminum chassis that had like three receivers and two transmitters and a modulator and were dynamotor powered and that thing was just a, just begging to be uh, modified for uh, AC use. Had to do a little changing things around because of tube filaments and so forth but they made excellent little radios and uh, a lot of guys were using them. I used a surplus Navy Arc 5 for a first, my first two-meter uh, adventure. And living in West L.A., I was able to work uh, two meters from West L.A. to San Diego, which is mostly over water, and uh, possibly 10 watts of, uh, of RF and, and, and a pretty crude antenna, usually a ground plane. Uh, it, was, it was easy to convert military stuff to uh, ham radio use. So initially, it was a lot of fun converting this stuff and putting it on the air. Uh, had some misfortunes with parasitic amplifiers and things like that, but this is the way we learn. Uh, after I began Hughes, uh, a brief period, I worked aircraft and, and law enforcement and other things until I finally got a berth at Hughes Aircraft. But uh, 
during that interval, I, I had a mobile, a homemade mobile on 40 meters AM and driving to work in the morning, quite a, a long drive from West LA to downtown, uh, I would work 40 meters of phone and talk to guys who were also going to work up in San Francisco. And we got to be uh, got to be acquainted with each other. We talked to each other quite frequently. Same call letters, same guys. Please don't ask me to remember who they were. <laughs> Long since lost the logbooks. Uh, other than that, the the home rig had still had to home build the transmitter. Couldn't couldn't stand the thought of buying a a, a, a rack and panel transmitter. So. We build our own transmitter out of four surplus parts mostly. Eight, 813 final on all bands, uh, phone and CW, AM of course, as before sideband. So uh, I guess that kind of that kind of covers it. But that it was really exciting and interesting to talk to guys out of state. Uh, uh, of course, nowadays I've got grandsons in the service, but. Uh, at the time, we were pretty busy just making contacts, out-of-state contacts were interesting. And I never got into uh, into much in the way of contesting except the special event stations. I was always interested in collecting special events cards. I have a number of QSLs in a shoebox over here that have survived the trip. Some are gone. They're, I have no idea where they wound up. But over a period of time, uh, you tend to lose stuff. <laughs> moving, moving is as good as a fire. <laughs> oh, back to you. Let's go. Uh, let's talk about the advent of the club, 1989. And either one of you, Jim, if you wanna, you wanna step in and talk a little bit about what you know about the club and what the original intention was of uh, GTAR. Well, I will uh, give that a shot, uh, Christian. The uh, club formed in 1989. There's a small group of people, uh, quite a few that are still around and active in the club. Uh, and it was formed as a 5013C, which we maintain that status even to today. Um, it was it was for camaraderie and outreach, and uh, you know basically the same things that clubs clubs do. Uh, our club has been very active <clears throat> on the social side. Uh, we have a number of weekly nets we've got a daily net one of our members has ran for uh, 25 or 30 years uh judy nb6j um that's that continues this morning i was when i talked to you earlier i was checking in on that net uh and then uh, we also have a uh, luncheon a weekly luncheon and we have uh once again a member judy uh who puts that together every week every week every month every year for many many years so the, the club I think the original uh, intent of the club is still intact today, which is quite amazing after after so many years. But I think Dave was a member right away, uh, right away, uh, if not a founding member. So, um, Dave, I'm sure you've got some memories of the early days. Right. Well, uh, of course, starting to look around for a club, it was evident that VHF <clears throat> uh, was still more or less a foundling, uh, just beginning to get popular. And the club had a repeater up quite early in the game. I don't remember now exactly what date a repeater went on the air. But in the meantime, we're shuffling and improving. Um, I, I think it was probably 91, 92 by the time I came along. And I wasn't real active when I first joined because I lived uh, like 
15 or 20 miles away from this area. In uh, 1998, I moved down here to uh, <clears throat> Murrieta, and so I was able to be a little more active in the club. Uh, and I enjoyed the, the uh, social aspects, the, the lunches and all that stuff. I really had a great time at field days. We had a very enthusiastic crew for field day. Uh, unfortunately, our CW operators mostly have uh, gone off to better places. And uh, the few of us that are left are reluctant to stay up all night operating. <laughs> we still occasionally hear a, a, CW, a CW signature on our repeater. And uh, one of my old-time buddies used to come on the two-meter net <clears throat> with an MCW signal, you know, his call letters. And, of course, nobody in the club could read CW. <laughs> yeah, we used to joke about that a lot. I still have CW capability, but uh, I don't tout it too much. It's, it's just too much work. <laughs> Anything involving a computer is too much work. You know, that's an interesting um, question. A point there. I wonder what you make of this new technology here with solid-state radios, and and you know we've got many different new modes and things cropping up. And you were around, you know, in the early days. What do you think personally about all this new technology? Well, you know, uh, standing in front of progress is like King Canute trying to hold back the tide. Uh, it it just doesn't happen. Uh, we see uh, stuff coming in from other countries, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, stuff from Japan, the, the electronics from Japan, some of it was, in the, initially it was a little, little touchy, but now it's gotten pretty reliable. In fact, I think most of the common brands of electronics that we use nowadays are all uh, built foreign, in foreign countries, uh, with possible exception, I think, of Collins and Motorola. Uh, it, it was tough getting aboard the uh, the transition from analog to digital, and and the reason that happened actually during my tenure at Hughes, and uh, we were more or less forced because of the test programs we were running and stuff to uh, to convert to computer use as soon as computers were uh, were smart enough to help us do our job, and uh, the specialty that I had. Uh, just, I was just too busy to sit with a computer, so we had other people who were not too busy and understood them better. And the result was I, I kind of, I grew up without going through the digital life. <laughs> I still had problems trying to program one of these new handhelds. Not to mention the buttons get smaller and the print gets finer, and the instruction books more opaque. <laughs> That's only my opinion. Everybody else loves this stuff. No, I totally, I agree with that. I I think it is. They're not easy to program, first of all, and and I can understand. Um, I think you said it best, where you you can't get in the way of progress. Maybe you're not an adapter, or you know, an adopter to it. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can understand the um, changes of it. And and it's an another point to talk about the makeup and the membership of the club. It seems like you, you know, do you have a lot of younger people? And I'm, I mean, I'm talking in coming in 20s and 30s. And then, you know, trying to bridge that gap between the members. What's that like there? Maybe I'll uh, take that one. Yeah. So um, 
the, the club has done a pretty good job of uh, putting on training programs, and we hold classes, and we've got a lot of VEs. We do testing. That, that really is very important for the club. Uh, we, we do tech, general, and extra classes now this year. And I'll tell you, that, that's where um, you, you gain members from that type of association and that type of effort. That's really, really important. Uh, we have a very nice mix. We've got some young people in the club. Uh, and some in the mid- middle part and some of, some of our old timers, uh, which we all hope to be someday, uh, are quite active in the club. Um, so that that's that is important. Uh, but definitely the classes and and that sort of thing and activities outreach in the community. Our field day is held in the mall parking lot. So we get a lot of walk ups. We have a lot of young people walking around, checking it out. Um, it's important. Dave, go ahead. No, no, we've got. We've gotten a lot of interest from the Boy Scout program, and we expect to see it have, what, 150 clubs and scouts? Well, mm-hmm. Yes, no. we have. Uh, this year we have decided to partner with the Southern California Boy Scouts Association, and we're going to host their JOTA event in October, uh, which should yield, uh, I don't know, in the, in the hundreds of scouts, and we're going to try to get everyone on the air. But even at field day, we're, we're planning on having two go to stations dedicated just for scouts to uh you know some might be working on the radio merit badge which is a really good good activity to participate in um and so forth we're uh, very active with the digital modes as well uh we have an echo link note on our repeater happens to be under my call sign right now but uh, if you want to jump on our nets that's available worldwide the, that type of outreach is is good and uh but, uh, yeah, definitely with the scouts this year, we're, we're really going to ramp up our participation with them. And, uh, you know, that's where, that's where we make new ham operators. That's how we have to backfill uh, the evolution of the, of the hobby as we get in and, and we get out, as, we, as Dave says, go to a better place. So uh, back to you, Christian. Yeah, I want to ask you both about the future. I think you both would have an interesting perspective uh, perhaps, Jim, you can go first in this and keeping the club uh, sustainable, bringing new people in, uh, having the events that are interesting to most or uh, all of the members, that sort of thing. But looking you know, down the road a bit, where do you see the club going and what does it need to sustain uh, its membership? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um I uh, I was asked to to get on the board of the club. We have a we have a board. We have an eight member board with a uh, two year uh, tenure. Uh, the, part of the thing you have to do is you have to you have to find new people to continually rotate into the point positions to do the extra you know the extra work required to run the club. Um, and when when my turn's over, I don't intend on. Uh, going back into the woodwork, I'm going to keep doing the things I'm doing, which are, you know, I generally try to uh, run the meeting. Uh, I try to inspire people to greatness. Um, those things we probably, many of us probably try to do. But that, that's important for the club. Don't, uh, don't keep your, um, your, your workers, your worker bees in place so long that they get burned out and they disappear for, for 10 years. You've got to continually engage people. Um, the events are important for the community to come in and see what's going on. Uh, we we ask members, non-members, to come to our meetings. You don't have to join the club; just come. We want everybody to come and have fun. So we need events, and you have to be a, willing to 
organize things such that, you know, how many times can you make a J-poll for someone? I mean, it kind of gets old after a while, but those new people, they need that. You need to continually kind of rotate those activities. Uh, you know, cutting a dipole is, is old hat to many of us, and some of us done it thousands of times, but you got to continue to do that with your new people. You need to, you need to let them uh, have the same opportunities that, that we all had as we came up. We're all learning, right? So, uh, and that's hard to do. That's hard to uh, set up an event to build an antenna when you've done that dozens of times or hundreds of times. So that's important to find a good balance there for the, for the club to provide those types of things. Uh, Dave, any comments? No, the comment, <clears throat> comments I was thinking of was uh, through the years as, as I have uh, quote-unquote matured, uh, I do less and less tower climbing <laughs> and I stay off of roofs where possible. Uh, the uh, first step down is always uh, very painful. Uh, anyhow, uh, the younger guys backfill in and, and provide us with the muscle that we need to get stations uh, planted, if you wish. Uh, new members want to put up antennas and oftentimes don't really understand what to do or how to do it. So we try to maintain a, a cadre of guys that are available for either for mentoring or for actually physically helping uh, to put up antennas, and of course, it's become more now uh, a VHF venture than uh, HF. I'm finding a fewer, fewer, and fewer of the uh, of the new hams uh, can relate to HF, and are very interested, especially young people. Uh, they got cell phones; they can talk talk to the other worlds, if you wish, uh, and they don't need a radio. But trying to get them interested in the other aspects of radio, the, the actual science of it, the electronic, the science of electronics, and trying to get them to learn the basics, uh, to me has been always very important. I, I stress that when I do, uh, I, I help Jim with the teaching where I, where I can, also VE, and uh, basically supporting new members uh, by offering to be a mentor, uh, by advising them and, and when they ask questions, uh, I put my phone number out there and, and you know, anybody that's got a question that I can answer, they're always willing to, uh, they're always able to call me. I'm always home. Now that I've retired since 1989. <laughs> and that's about it. Thank you, Christian. I want to ask you finally, both of you, I think you'll have an interesting perspective. I can tell Jim, um, you know, you've been in since uh, 2011. So you're you're a uh, kind of a newbie like me. I'm 2012 getting into this. Uh, and the importance of the Elmers. I can tell that you're a smart guy because you're spending time with Dave. You made sure that we, we were talking to him today, and I'm fascinated. I'm the guy at the Christmas party or any other event that's sitting with the elders. You know, it's like the leaves around the tree. That's me. Uh, I, I want to get these stories. That's why I kind of went off the track here with Dave. But I think the Elmering and the mentoring aspect of this hobby is so important. We don't hear about it as much, and not everybody gets to have an Elmer. Not everybody lives close enough to a club. And then you get on the air, and sometimes you're new, and you hear things that are you know, um, intended to almost bring down the new operators. You're, you know, you're no code, this kind of thing, and things have changed, and it's not the same, and you hear about it, and it's not very welcoming, quite frankly. Uh, I'll start with Jim, and we'll give Dave the last word 
on Elmering and mentoring, and if you both would speak to the importance of it. All right, very good. Uh, well, first of all, let me say that uh, from, the, from the moment I got involved in ham radio, uh, Dave W6ODF has been my Elmer, and he's been very uh, forthcoming with information. I know how to ask a dumb question, and he knows how to make it make it right. So that's important. Uh, Elmering, the Elmering community is very important. But you know, we can all be Elmers to someone who knows less than we do. Uh, first thing I did was uh, on my QRZ page, I went out and started documenting some of the things that I've learned along the way because I thought it might help someone else. And maybe later, if I ever get that CRS, can't remember stuff, disease, I can go back and review it myself. So my QRZ page is probably, I don't know, 50 pages long. And I've got a, a couple hundred videos on YouTube as well under my call. But um, that, that's all trying to help, trying to pass along what I think is a super important uh, aspect to you know to our lives and, and that is ham radio and uh, passing along the uh, the fellowship that I've received from from Dave and other members in the club but specifically Dave I, I call him my Elmer so uh, <laughs> definitely so anyway that's super important and most hams are willing to do that I've, I've been reached out to by many many new hams and I've also been reached out by many experienced hams who either like something I did or or wanted to help correct me in something I left out. So that's all good. I, you know, I never take that the wrong way. Always take that as a as a construction and uh, improvement of the hobby and so forth. So that's super important. Anyway, and thank you, Christian, for uh, uh, making uh, making your comments and your views and your your show watchers' views and and your whole community uh, helps each other out. And that's that's just an awesome thing. So uh, anyway, I'll turn it over to W six ODF. Oh, I will receive it. <laughs> Acknowledge. Uh, if, if we're wrapping it up, I get the feeling we may be at this point. Uh, a lot of my background in, in raising my own kids were, were with such things as YMCA and Boy Scouts. And, of course, Pop Warner and Little League and all the other. Uh, we don't have much hockey in California, unfortunately. But uh, from my, my, my background in Canada, as a kid, I used to play ice hockey. Miss all that stuff out here. But when I raised my own kids, uh, the best available place for mentoring for young people and activities or things like the scout program, which I became involved with uh, very early on and have intermittently supported scouts. Of course, that's, uh, that happens to be my bag. And of course, I'm also interested in teaching. So uh, I do a little bit of both as, as available. Uh, Jim's got classes organized for this month, and I expect to attend the classes, just uh, if for no other good reason than to see what's going on and answer questions if, if they come along. If not, it's always interesting to meet the new guys and encourage them to, uh, to study and work hard, and the exam is only 35 questions and so forth. So we just keep on keeping on, and uh, that's, that's what it's about right now. I'm still very avid into ham radio. I'm right now reconstructing the ham station. Bought a whole handful of coax switches in order to make this make this amplifier work. It's been sitting dusty, uh, gathering dust for a long time. I'm going to put it back on the air and see if we can do a little better on 40 sideband, of course, <laughs> because I am still interested in uh, in long distance communications. 
if Jim comes along with the digital mode, PSK 31, and works 10,000 miles with one watt of power, and that's sobering. (laughs) 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 Well, that's that's about it. We're going to keep on keeping on. Uh, We're interested in what you're doing. I'd love to hear your podcast if possible. And uh, thank you very much for including us in your uh, in your line of interest. And uh, you're always welcome here. So give us a call or a yell or whatever whenever uh, whenever you have the interest. So enjoyed talking to you, seventy three always, and uh, hang in there. Flashing back to episode 105, that was Dave, W6ODF, now a silent key. My best to his friends in the radio club, also his family. What a life. All right, it's Christian. I'm going to make this my final. Be sure to mark on your calendars June 7th through the 9th. The antenna tune-up is coming. We're going to spend that time and those activity days celebrating our antenna. Visit 100wattsinawire.com. Click Activities to learn more. Some great prizes. MFJ just came on. They're going to give the uh, Octopus Hub away. So you add your hamsticks, whatever band you want to operate on, and uh, they'll hook you up. We also have Chameleon Antennas. We have Powerfilm Solar. BioNO Power is going to give something away. Lots of cool stuff there. So check out the website to learn more. Thank you for your patience this week. I needed to go back and listen to that interview again. Feedback was so positive after we ran it the initial time that I thought uh, once I had the news of his passing, I wanted to share that again for our new audiences because uh, we've added more since 105. Uh, We've got some shortwave radio stations, uh, 14 total now, uh, broadcast affiliates, and I think they need to hear Dave's story. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and by all means, if you can, please try and stay above the noise. To join the 100 Watts in a Wire community, visit 100wattsinawire.com.